world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change. Never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome, everybody, to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. And let me just announce that if we've got any clowns, creeps, crooks, and cranks listening, please hang up or go and listen to something else. This show is only for happy warriors. That's right. The Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show is for happy warriors. Why do I call you happy warriors? Well, because in order to live happily and fulfillingly, you have to be ready to fight every single day. If nothing else, you have to fight against the force of entropy. You have to fight to maintain your possessions. You have to fight to build and maintain your family. You have to fight to grow your money. You, you fight to maintain your body and your business and your profession or your career. You see, the good Lord created a world in which chaos and disorder rule. This is Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. It's called Tohu Bohu. Life is a fight, and that's a good thing. To stop fighting, to stop seeking and striving, well, that's just to die. And I don't just call you warriors, but I think of you as happy warriors. Because to throw yourself into the fight for eight or ten hours every day and six days a week, well, that's one thing. But to do all that with a debonair smile on your face and a jaunty pace to your stride, with a cheerful greeting to all you meet, whether you yet know them or not, well, to do all that while generating an irrepressible surge of happiness welling up in your soul, well, that means you are spiritually grounded in everything that is life-affirming, devoted to your faith, your families, your finances, and your friends, knowing that, yes, you can triumph over all those clowns, creeps, crooks, and cranks who both intentionally and unknowingly promote a dark abyss of satanic secular socialism and all the many destructive and evil social pathologies that it generates. When I reveal how the world really works, it's in the hope that you will help defeat those pathetic creatures of modern secular fundamentalism those orphans of history who possess neither Judeo-Christian fortitude nor even pagan ferocity, which would almost be welcome. Those hideous hermaphrodites and fanatical feminists running media education, government bureaucracies, who possess neither the strength of men nor the intuitive wisdom of women, but they do do a lot of damage, don't they? But don't worry, here on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, I solemnly commit to help you transform timidity to triumph. Together, we will replace diffidence with determination, and we will displace the divided counsels of doubt with the steady eyes and firm hearts of those who, just like us, know where they are going and know just how they're going to get there. We strive for success, first with our families, with our faith, 
then our finances and our friends, forming bonds of the like-minded, after which we will be ready to take on the formidable task of saving our frighteningly fragile civilization from those who would force us to surrender our freedoms and our souls to the whims and the dictates of those who consider themselves to be our superiors, our elites, our betters, our bosses, our rulers. But before we change the world, we have to change ourselves. And what a good start we have. Each of you happy warriors, a gentle giant with a huge and humble heart, Yes, we'll succeed. But before we make the world a better place, we have to make our homes and businesses better places. And then our efforts and our dreams become leveraged, and together we achieve so much more. Look, the two surefire ways of building a bridge over the dark abyss of mortality is by building a family, building our finances, and connecting with others who share your worldview, or even others who share part of your worldview. Now, don't think I don't know that this show would, of course, be far more dramatic if I loudly proclaimed how we have to throw ourselves into the task of overturning the tyranny of the Veterans Administration, destroying the incompetence of the Post Office and of Amtrak, defying the dictators of the Internal Revenue Service, pulling down the venal and self-interested politicians on the national and state levels, batter the bureaucrats into submission, and generally take to the ramparts. But only very rarely do those kinds of revolutions bring happy endings. Instead of taking to the streets... Let's remember that 21st century secular fundamentalism is a religion, a militant faith. It's a community of belief and shared values, dogmas, heresies, sacraments, with its own fanatics and saints and devils and halos and horns. And like any religion, it thrives under suppression. Instead of confronting it on the streets... We should help one another build the basic interpersonal institutions of civilized society, families and homes, businesses and civic organizations. By building up our lives and those of our family and friends, we little by little change the culture, we change the country, and we change the world, one heart at a time. Now... I have the uh, difficult and infrequent challenge of apologizing for an error. Yes, uh, last week I spoke about seeing no reason uh, for grounding the 737 MAX aircraft. Well, a week has gone by, and in the world of aerospace, a week is almost a lifetime. And uh, I actually feel that I was wrong. Although the evidence for it was not yet visible, there probably was every reason to ground the 737 MAX and to do so uh, with considerable alacrity, I'm afraid. As a matter of fact, 
it is my sad duty to inform you that the people who got it right were the Chinese. They grounded the, uh, all the uh, 737 Maxes in their fleet, and they did so very rapidly indeed. Now, to be honest, while China was the first country to ground the 737 MAX, while meanwhile our own Federal Aviation Administration, our own FAA, was assuring the world that the aircraft was safe to fly, pretty much everyone except Canada followed China's lead. And I guess what we have to look into here is the inevitable political sideshow. I was wrong in thinking that this was a story only about technology. It was a story only about airplanes and, uh, and uh, thrust and, uh, and stalling, and I spoke all about all that last week. And by the way, some of you really hurt my feelings. You know, you can always communicate with me by sending me an email from our website, right? You know about that. You go to rabbidaniellappin.com, and you can send me an email. And that's exactly what a number of people did last week. And after last week's show, I got many of these letters saying, hey, I just had a, my eyes glaze over when you started talking about uh, uh, aircraft characteristics and the uh, MCAS system, and you spoke about elevators and uh, stabilizers and trim tabs. You just lost us. Ladies and gentlemen, that really hurts my feelings because the truth is that happy warriors have to know how the world really works and how heavier than air machines fly is part of how the world really works. I do understand that many of you are not that interested and yes, it is a majority of women uh, who are, whose eyes glaze over when I speak about the aircraft. Um, but you shouldn't. After all, I don't even let Mrs. Lappin's eyes glaze over when I spend a good part of a dinner time sharing with her my excitement at finally understanding how an electronic circuit works, or indeed how the MCAS stall avoidance system that Boeing set up on their 737 MAXs work. And I will admit that if I look very carefully, I do see her eyes glazing slightly. But when I draw attention to it, she immediately perks up and seems to radiate passionate enthusiasm and deep, intense interest in the topic about which I am droning, excuse me, that about which I am discussing. And, um, and I just refuse to believe that she is faking her interest. I just do not believe that. And so I encourage everybody, uh, don't turn off when an 
area of how the world really works that is under discussion here on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show is not something you're innately interested in. But uh, I will do my best to describe these things in irresistibly tantalizing terms in the hope that you will not send me disparaging letters discouraging me from talking about technical topics. Well, there, there is a little more technical information that I am going to tell you about, but I also have to immediately let you know about some of the political aspects of this. For instance, uh, when the second Boeing 737 MAX went down in Addis Ababa on March 11th, 2019, uh, the news was flashed in an instant to Boeing headquarters, and I was curious. The, uh, the, the man who is head of Boeing, uh, a very competent CEO by the name of Dennis Mullenberg, uh, he's been head since about uh, 2015, I think. Um, I was curious, who, who, were, who was his first phone call to? Or more specifically, um, were his first phone calls uh, internal? Were they, were they technically related? No, his uh, first phone call was actually to President Trump. And that began to make sense to me. I realized that there were political aspects to this that are really important to understand and which I did not have clear when I spoke to you on last week's show. Um, for instance, China imports a great deal from the United States of America. Unfortunately, not as much as we import from China. That's a uh, uh, an imbalance that President Trump is quite right to be concerned about. But China imports from us a great deal. They import – how much do they spend importing semiconductors? You'd, you'd think that's an area we, we specialize in, right? Uh, they buy $6 billion a year worth of semiconductors. Just think about the volume. You know, think about how much a semiconductor. What you know, how much does an American-made chip cost, and how many of them make up six billion dollars? Well, that's what China buys: six billion of semiconductors. How about cars? They buy about ten billion dollars worth of uh, of cars from us. Um. How about soybeans? We're big on sending soybeans to China, aren't we? Well, we sell them $12 billion worth of soybeans. So six of semiconductors, 10 of cars, 12 of soybeans. Do you know what our biggest export to China is? Aircraft. $16 billion worth of aircraft to China. That's huge. Now, meanwhile, the, this best-selling aircraft, and it's, it's obviously the sweet spot. It's the Airbus 320 size, the single-aisle, twin-engine, 
passenger aircraft, that 737 is a huge seller. Huge. Well, you won't be shocked to hear that China is almost done with its own version of the 737. And, oh, there's no question about it. It relies heavily on Western technology and even Western testing. Uh, Canada's Bombardier aircraft company has been helping them. Uh, this aircraft is called the COMAC um, C919. C standing for COMAC. COMAC stands for um, uh, Chinese. Sun. It's, it's, again, like all of these huge Chinese concerns, it's a government operation. And uh, COMAC is the Chinese company that, uh, that builds airplanes. Well, they are already test flying their C919. It already has an order book of over a thousand orders. China is hoping to take over from Boeing, to take over from Airbus, and to become the dominant supplier of twin-engine, single-aisle passenger aircraft for the world. Uh, the C919 uses the same LEAP engine, L-E-A-P, the same LEAP engine that uh, is used on the 737 MAX. Okay, and that brings us partially to the technical side of the story, why changes had to be made to the airplane when they substituted the MAX, uh, the, when they substituted the engine for the LEAP engine. Uh, the LEAP engine is manufactured by um, a joint venture of General Electric in the United States, and General Electric has been building aircraft engines for years. For many years, you actually remember seeing the GE sign on the side of the engine nacelle. As you, if you had a if you had a window seat, you could look out. You'd often see the GE logo on the engine. You sometimes would see the double R of Rolls Royce on the engine. Well, uh, now the engine is uh, the Leap engine. It's made by this joint venture uh, company called CFM. I'm not sure what CFM stands for. Charlie, Frederick, Mike. Okay, CFM. And uh, as I say, CFM is a mix between General Electric and a French company called Saffron Aircraft Engines, which has also gone through several iterations. Uh, it, it was another French company before that. But in any event, uh, CFM, America and France together, build this incredibly efficient, very modern, high-bypass turbofan engine uh, called the LEAP. And uh, LEAP stands for something. I, I don't remember exactly. Leading edge, leading, oh, it's, it's just a marketing term, leading edge aviation propulsion. <laughs> anyway, I'm telling you more than you want to know. Uh, bottom line is that um, the reason that Mullenberg from Boeing called Donald Trump is because this is a political issue as well. It's not only the safety of passengers, although that is paramount in everybody's mind. I, there's no doubt about that. But um, also the concern is of letting China surpass America in building aircraft. Now, this is rather complicated, I must tell you, 
because you'll remember when United States Secretary of Defense um, James Mattis resigned, right? And I, I was fine with seeing him go. Uh, he was replaced um, by a gentleman called Patrick Shanahan. So um, Shanahan joins, recently joins the Trump administration as Deputy Secretary of Defense. Uh, excuse me, as, uh, as um, Secretary of Defense. No, I'm sorry. Um, but here's the complicated part. From 1986 to 2017, that's 30 years. Guess where Mr. Patrick Shanahan worked? Yep, he was a high-ranking executive at the Boeing Aircraft Company. Do you see what we have going on here? I'm sorry to say that when Donald Trump promised to clear the swamp, to drain the swamp. And I believe that he still intends and wishes to do that. When Donald Trump promised to drain the swamp, campaigned on that, what none of us knew was how far the swamp extended. You see, if you thought that the Boeing aircraft company was just an aircraft company, it was a very important aircraft company, but if that's what you thought, then you also fail to realize that the Boeing Aircraft Company, along with Lockheed Martin and some others I'll tell you about, uh, are actually part of the swamp itself. This is, this is disturbing, right? Very disturbing information. Why don't I take a quick break to do you some good, me some good, and the show some good and uh, remind you to make a note of our website www.rabbidaniellappin.com and at the website we have a place called our store and at the store you will find a beautiful product a resource called the perils of profanity you are what you say. That's right. We all assume that it is our personality, our education, our background that governs how we speak. And that's true, but it's only half the story. How we speak shapes the kind of people we are as well. And there is a really helpful one-hour program, an audio program, uh, that is available for listeners of this show at a price only about a dollar or so more than what you might spend on a coffee every now and then at a well-known establishment whose name I will not mention because they are not yet advertisers on this show. And uh, you, for that price, can obtain the audio program, Perils of Profanity. You can download it as soon as today's show is finished and just go and get it right away. Be listening to it while you get ready to go to bed tonight. 
uh, or listen to it when you take the dog for a walk. All of that, it's instantly available as an electronic digital download right away. Perils of Profanity, and that is at rabbidaniellappin.com. You can read more about it right there as well. And uh, remember, while you're at the website, not only can you read recent episodes of Susan's Musings, recent episodes of um, of uh, Thought Tools, uh, recent episodes of one of my favorites, which is Ask the Rabbi. And uh, we got a great one up there right now, the most recent, fascinating one, I don't mind telling you, quite fascinating. Um, it's about a, a woman who feels her husband isn't helping her enough with the housework. And there are several lines, there are several phrases in her letter that really betray where she's really coming from. It's fascinating. And um, we, uh, we actually, we came down on her quite hard, and we hope very much that we didn't upset her. That wasn't our goal. Our goal was to bring about change in her life and in the life of her marriage and her family. Anyway, all of that at www.rabbidaniellappin.com. And now we'll go back to the show. It really is with deep misgivings and with dark dismay that I tell you that not only has the Boeing aircraft company um, taken a real hit and, and got a black eye in the international uh, marketplace, but perhaps even more seriously, uh, the FAA has also taken a blow to its prestige. Because the way it is looking to the rest of the world right now is that the FAA went soft on Boeing in the first place in certifying the MAX aircraft and then went slow on grounding the aircraft after they should have known and Boeing almost certainly did know that it was this MCAS problem in the aircraft itself. And so uh, we have no option now. Please, and I speak particularly to all you beautiful lady happy warriors, don't turn off now just because I'm going to spend a few moments on the technical side of the airplane. You'll enjoy it really I, I will gently seduce you into the topic. Don't go away. All right? All right. We're talking about the 737. Let me invite you into a children's playground. And I ask you to imagine standing behind a child sitting in a conventional old-fashioned swing. And the child begs you to give him or her a push. And so you apply your palm to the child's back and you give a firm, long shove. And the child moves how? In an arc upwards. Well, obviously, you say, because the swing is suspended by a chain from the fulcrum on the overhead bar. And so, sure, although the push you applied 
to the child's back was actually a horizontal push. You didn't give any upward push. You just gave a straightforward push ahead. Nonetheless, the physics of the situation means that the child actually flies upwards. Now, sticking with the theme of um, children and toys, now, if you would, imagine a, mod a model sailboat. Would you? Like maybe the size of a shoebox. And it's uh, floating in a uh, shallow swimming pool. And you're standing in the pool. Now, this model sailboat has a mast right about a third of the way back from the front of the boat, which we like to call the bow, uh, stands a mast to carry its sails. And that mast um, on our model, uh, you know, might stand about uh, two feet high uh, to stay if it was in scale. Now, I ask you to imagine what happens if you push the mast forward, if you try and move the boat through the water by exerting a forward push on the top of the mast. Do you see that the bow, the front part of the boat, will dig into the water? In other words, applying that push um, away from the center of gravity, if you apply it you know, up at the top of the mast, not only are you moving the boat forward, but you're also making it dig its bow down into the water. You're pushing the boat downwards, not only forwards. Now, instead of that, now place your finger at the back of the boat, we call it the stern, and apply a forward push um, to the boat at its underwater point. In other words, you are now playing the role of an outboard motor propeller. And now push. Well, now you're going to find that the boat goes forward, but in this case, the bow rises. Got it? Because you are pushing it from a low point. If you wanted the boat to respond to your push by going only forward, not upwards and not downwards, without the bow rising up or the bow digging in, uh, then you would find a good spot on the transom, on that uh, back end of the boat, the stern. You'd find a good spot, not too high, not too low, somewhere around about the middle of the stern, and you'd push exactly at that point, and wow, now your push will be transferred exclusively into forward motion. No upward tilt, no downward push. In, in uh, engineering terms, we've taken away what's called the couple. A couple is a turning effect. And um, the, uh, the reason I mention this, of course, is that the Boeing design, which has since been copied by everyone in the whole world because it makes such perfect sense, is to suspend the engines beneath the wing. And uh, this today is considered absolutely normal, although you don't have to go back very far to the early days of jet travel, uh, the Comet and uh, other planes where the engines were actually within the wing. Also the Concorde, by the way, the supersonic uh, plane built by uh, French and British collaboration, uh, engines in the wing. Anyway, for a variety of reasons, um, it made more sense to suspend the engine beneath the wing. For one thing, replacing the engine was I incredibly simple. 
this is a, um, uh, a maintenance matter that happens quite often. And this way, you literally just um, remove a suspending pin, disconnect cables and line, lines and pipes, and a, a sort of uh, um, customized forklift kind of arrangement just lowers the engine. Taking an engine out of a wing is a huge problem. Uh, it also meant that uh, anything catastrophically wrong with an engine uh, would probably not damage the wing and the fuel tanks, um, which unfortunately, uh, with the last Concorde that flew, uh, there was a problem. Anyway, why am I telling you all this? Because I want you to understand that when you apply power to an engine that's suspending beneath the wing, not only is it moving the boat forward, you see this is a little bit like um, the outboard motor equivalent on a boat where the propeller is low in the water at the back pushing and it not only pushes the boat forward but because of that it also raises the bow. Well, not surprisingly, uh, when you apply power to an airplane whose engines are beneath the wing, the result of that is a tendency for the nose to lift. And that is why during a takeoff roll, the pilot of a 737, or for that matter, a 747, uh, all of these model airplanes holds the control yoke forward in order to keep the nose very firmly down on the runway. When uh, the critical takeoff speed has been reached, uh, the pilot almost barely has to pull back, depending on the trim settings, but essentially the plane wants to lift up off there. That's exactly what it's trying to do uh, because the engines are beneath the wing. So they're not only pulling the, the airplane forward, but they're also uh, exerting a slight upward tilt. Okay, so this I'm not doing this just in order to, um, to torment my lady listeners. But uh, I'm doing it because I want to tell you that in 1966 or 67, somewhere in those years, uh, the 737 was first certificated. It, was, uh, it had been designed during the 1950s, and by the time 66 or 67 arrived, it was ready, it had been built, and uh, it flew for the first time, and it was certified by the FAA as airworthy. The point I'm making is that over the years, that is basically still the same 737 body, right? It's the same airframe. And as the years have gone by, uh, different engines have been developed and installed and used over the years. Well, the big jump was to this new engine, the leading edge aviation propulsion, the LEAP engine built by CFM. And uh, this engine is much more powerful. It's also larger. Now, there's something else I have to tell you. The whole reason that I'm talking about this is because there are implications that go way beyond uh, flight safety. But before I go into the stock price of Boeing and its impact on the economy of the United States and what the recent two accidents of the 737 MAX 
are doing or not doing to the stock price and how this could be happening, I will talk for just a moment about the resource that is available for a special price to listeners of this show at rabbidaniellappin.com. It's called The Perils of Profanity. It's a one-hour audio program. It's going to be of immense use, particularly if you are raising boys right now. You're going to want to listen to it together with them. Uh, if you are uh, somebody in, in general concerned about communication and language, there are a whole heap of invaluable insights in this program. Um, among other things, I speak about and explain the relationship between different meanings that are linked to the same Hebrew word. So, for instance, uh, the Hebrew word zera means both seed and also arm. Like when we find in the book of Exodus, uh, the God has an outstretched arm. That word is zroa, same word as seed. Why would that be? Well, you think about it for a moment and you realize um, your children, your seed, your children are like your extended arms, are they not? They enable you to reach further. In other words, if you raise children and uh, you do a good job, and these children uh, carry the value system by means which you and your spouse have lived, and your children carry this forward, then they are able to further the things that you may not have achieved entirely on your own, whether this is in your business or in your uh, belief system or whatever it is. But the relationship between seed and arm is a very real and very powerful one. There's a lot to talk about just on that topic and a lot to understand. Uh, we also take a good look at uh, why the Hebrew word for memory and uh, or remember, the verb or noun, uh, is the same as the Hebrew word for male. Um, thinking about how in so many cultures the memory of the family name goes down through the male line or how we speak about a male member, or we think about how dismember means to separate, therefore remember must be to link up and to join, and uh, the male's role in that, etc., etc. All of that explained much more fully in The Perils of Profanity. So head over to www.rabbidaniellappin.com and uh, take a look in the store for Perils of Profanity. You will find it there for a uh, little more, if, if not, well, actually about the same as uh, if you were to order a, uh, a, a venti fancy coffee, the largest size, at an unnamed international coffee chain. You would be spending more than you can today get Perils of Profanity for at www.rabbidaniellappin.com. Also, uh, don't forget to communicate with uh, Susan Lappin and me that way. Uh, there's a place to contact us on that website. Use it. We want to hear from you. And uh, you can also take a look at previous uh, episodes of Thought Tools, of Susan's Musings, of Ask the Rabbi, and uh, your comments on those 
articles are very welcome. If you go there and take a look, you'll see that we respond personally to a good number of them. Uh, we cherish the opportunity for some two-way interaction, and all of that happens at the website www.rabbidaniellappin.com. Okay, so um, there is something called the Dow Index, right? The Dow Index uh, chooses a bunch of stocks, and it changes. I mean, Sears used to be on it many years ago. It no longer is. Uh, but the, the, the Dow chooses a, a whole bunch of stocks, about 30 of them approximately, and uh, creates an index that lets us see at a glance what the market as a whole is doing. And, uh, and so it's, it's very, very useful, and it gives you a reliable snapshot of the state of the economy, if you like, at any particular moment. Or to be more accurate, um, a snapshot of the economy is never really that accurate. What you really need to be seeing are trends, what, what is happening. So I guess if you look at the Dow on a, a regular basis, uh, you'd be able to pick up on trends. And if, particularly for investors, it's, it's a useful thing. And it's also just generally, if you have an interest in the economy, it gives you an idea. Well, uh, not only is Boeing on the Dow index, but it actually is heavily weighted. Not every stock on the Dow carries the same influence on the index number, uh, some more, some less. The um, stock of Boeing, BA is the, um, the symbol, actually is um, more uh, substantial. The impact is more substantial than most of the others on the index. So um, that makes it very important. Now, uh, also interesting to note is that uh, on November the 7th, 2016, just before Donald Trump won the election, uh, the stock price of Boeing was roughly, you know, give or take, I'm just rounding up, but about $150. Um, it, by uh, February or, or uh, March of this year, of 2019, um, it was actually up to $425. Um, it took a, a small, brief, momentary dip in October when the Lion Air crash in Indonesia uh, downed the first 737 MAX plane, uh, nobody knowing at that point what, was co what caused it or what the problem was. But here we are now. At the time I am recording this show, uh, we're looking at a Boeing stock price of about uh, uh, $360, something like that. Now, Boeing is a more than a hundred-year-old company. It was founded in 1916, right, in, in World War I. Um, and so it's got a lot going for it. And um, not only does Boeing sell uh, passenger planes, such as the 737 we're discussing, but it also... Um, receives about 25% of its revenue from military and defense sales. So the F-16 fighter jet, the F-18, uh, the C-17 transport for the Air Force, these are all things that uh, Boeing makes a great deal of revenue on. Um, it also um, has various subsidiaries that do other government contracting, like for the space station, for instance. So, as a matter of fact, um, organizationally, the way the company is set up is 
in uh, for commercial aviation, um, defense, which and then they include in that space and technology and network, all kinds of things. And then they also have a finance division from which they make a lot of money. So, um, so now, from the point of view of where I'm preparing this show, and I now know more than I knew last week's show, I should have known this, by the way. This is not the result of new information. Um, this is the result of me, uh, well, uh, at first I was reluctant to delve into where I am now going. But, um, uh, you know, as I say, I, I wish I'd have done so last week already, but I'm doing so now, better late than never in this particular instance. And so um, uh, the the stock, Boeing stock, went from a high, a 2019, a high this year to date of about $425. It went down to uh, what it's closing at on uh, Friday, the 22nd of March, with both air crashes behind us now at uh, somewhere around about uh, $350, $360 approximately. So it's a drop from the highest of this year. But it's not a big drop um, over the last couple of weeks. It's, it's sort of been around there. My point is, what is going on? And it's, it's a bad idea to guess against the market because the market is millions and millions of investors. And, um, and all that combined insight is usually reliable. It means something. Uh, much better than than one person just making a guess or a call. So the the concern that I have is really why is the stock not going down more? And one answer to that would be that it is a very large diversified company. It's got enormous momentum. The crash, the two crashes are tragic. It was a, a very sad loss of life. But um, what will happen is they'll, they'll get this straightened out and the airplane will soon be recertified and back up in the air. It'll take a little while and everything will be fine. Um, I am, and of course, look, I'm, I'm certainly not giving investment advice, but I am a little bit uh, more concerned than this. And I'll tell you why. It's all a case of uh, culpability, perception, reputation. You know, did Boeing actually do anything wrong? How will people feel about it? Uh, what might be long-term impact on reputation? These are all very real factors. So let's go back. Remember I told you that the Boeing 737 first flew in um, uh, 1967. Um, the airplane at that point was fitted with two Pratt & Whitney engines, uh, JT-8s or, or something like that. Doesn't The designation is not that important. If you're interested, it's fairly easy to find out. But um, the, uh, the, the engines had a thrust of around about 20,000 pounds each, right, for a total 40,000 pounds thrust. Uh, again, exactly what pounds thrust are, we don't have to worry about for the moment. Just think of it as a number that tells you how strong the engines were. Um, time went by, and they uh, 
move to a CFM. Remember I told you about CFM, an airplane manufacturer that is a joint venture between France and America, our General Electric, France's something else, I can't pronounce it. And, uh, and so at a certain point, uh, I'm thinking 1980s perhaps, but I'm not 100% sure, uh, Boeing switched engines from the Pratt & Whitney to a CFM turbofan, uh, a, a stronger engine. But um, that was when you started seeing for the first time the very distinctive flattened bottom of the engine. Is that something you've noticed while uh, looking at a 737 or if you watch one taxiing towards you? You're going to notice that the engine, looking at it from the front, the engine isn't a perfect sphere. It's not a complete circle. What happens is the bottom is flattened. Why is that? Well, they put an, a newer engine, a bigger engine, on an older airframe, and that meant because the engine had a bigger diameter than the old engines, it was going to be closer to the ground, and uh, it's a case of ground clearance. One of the big concerns is the vacuum cleaner effect. You cannot believe the suction at the front of uh, a modern aircraft jet engine getting ready to take off. By the way, it's so strong that it can be fatal. It can literally, if somebody were uh, foolhardy enough to actually walk past the front of an engine while it's uh, spooling up, uh, there is every possibility, if not probability, of a human being being sucked off their feet and sucked against the engine. And so we're talking about a very, very powerful vacuum. Imagine what this does to dirt and debris uh, while it's taxing. Uh, it could be stones, rocks, and you, you've obviously heard about birds, uh, all kinds of things. But the major concern is uh, junk on the, on the runway or on the side in the grass because the suction area, the, the, the suction cone is, is immense. So... Um, to get the engine a little bit higher off the ground, they flattened the bottom of it, and uh, they also adjusted the mounting pylon because here what they're doing is sticking a big modern brand new engine on an old airframe. And you can't just uh, uh, fiddle uh, as you wish when you're, uh, when you're dealing with an aircraft. Any kind of significant change needs to be reapproved by the various international agencies. And up till now, uh, the one that has been most highly regarded internationally has been the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration of the United States of America. Um, the big concern that I've expressed earlier in this show is that uh, China is making a play to become the, the new most recognized international authority. Look, it sounds bizarre, doesn't it? It sounds crazy that countries around the world are going to look first to China rather than the United States for aircraft certification. It sounds bizarre. But I'm afraid we may well be on the cusp of very bizarre happenings, uh, such as China seizing the lead in commercial uh, aircraft manufacture. It's incredible, but uh, I think that's what we're looking at. And this is why I was so frustrated um, years 
ago during the lead-up to the November 2016 election and following thereafter, uh, where the left was absolutely obsessed with Vladimir Putin. Oh, the dangers posed by the Russians, the dangers posed by the Russians. Why do you suppose that the secular liberal left was so obsessed with these utterly non-existent threats of the Soviet Union. Oh, no, not Soviet. There's no Soviet Union anymore of Russia. Oh, they, they tampered with the elections. And what did Obama do with Israel's elections? I mean, this is not, what are you talking about? You've got China building runways on man-made islands in the South China Sea, and you're worried about... Russia putting ads on Facebook, really? Why do you think that is? Have you thought about it? Why do you think that the left is so intent on putting blinders on its eyes with regard to China, but exaggerates utterly non-existent threats from Russia? The truth is that, I, and I, I like to think that President Trump wanted to go that way until it became politically impossible. The, 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 the correct thing, in my view, at this point is a, an alliance between Russia and America. Hello, same side on so many things. Time has changed. And by the way, something that I think the president does understand is that uh, NATO belongs to yesteryear, right? It's, it's over. We don't need that. Europe doesn't. It's finished. That period of history has happened. We now are, are swiveling our attention towards Asia. That's the action. That's where it's happening now. Then we come to the latest update to the Boeing 737, uh, remembering that we're still using an airframe that is 50 years old, but now comes 2016 and the arrival of the first 737 MAX 8, and uh, it flies with a new CFM engine with a thrust of about 35,000 pounds approximately. And so, uh, to just compare, the original 737, the, the, en the, the power for which the airframe was originally designed 50 years ago, was two 20,000-pound thrust engines for a total thrust of 40,000. Now, the MAX 8, same airframe basically, is flying with a maximum thrust of about 70,000, from 40 to 70. So almost doubling, not quite, but almost doubling the engine power. And uh, obviously, they're more efficient engines, they're quieter, they use less fuel. But bottom line is, Let's go back now to the picture I painted for you earlier on of a child on a swing or of a um, pushing a, a model sailboat. Uh, when you push from the mast, it tends to force the nose of the boat down into the water. But how about if you push from underneath the boat? Well, now you're pushing the nose of the boat upwards. Well, think about the way that engines are attached to a wing. They're attached beneath. That is the pattern. And therefore, as you increase the power of the engine, the attempt 
of the engine to not only move the aircraft forward but also to lift its nose becomes much more pronounced. And uh, this now um, made Boeing say, okay, this could become problematic because during takeoff, um, you're already using full thrust, right? You, your engines are pushing hard, and you're lifting the nose anyway in order to increase what's called the AOA, the angle of attack, the angle at which the wings meet the oncoming rush of air. And so uh, with the engines also adding this tendency to raise the nose, we could very quickly reach a point where the nose goes high enough for the aircraft to go into what's called a stall, and that's when the airplane's wings lose all lift and the airplane drops like a stone. So uh, here's now, everything I've told you up till here is, is factual. Uh, now we enter a little bit of my speculation, but I think it's significant. I'm not, I hope I'm not wasting your time. I think it's significant because I'm not the only person thinking this way. You can be sure of it. First of all, many of you have probably thought this way yourselves. And secondly, uh, the market, what I call the market, millions and millions of separate investors, all with their own thought processes and their own information sources. They're also thinking this through. What am I saying? Well, uh, Boeing, instead of designing a new airframe suitable for this new generation of aircraft with a new generation of engine, uh, they take the quick and easy way and they just use the existing airframe with minimal changes necessary. So, for instance, they had to increase the nose wheel by eight inches in order to get that. You, you need a basic minimum clearance between the bottom of the engine and the runway. As I told you, in the previous generation of, uh, of uh, 737s, they flattened the bottom by moving auxiliary gearboxes and side equipment to the side of the engine instead of the bottom of the engine where it had been. The whole thing is to increase ground clearance. And so uh, with these new big engines on the MAX series, they raised the nose wheel a little bit. They also mounted the engine higher, but if it went much higher, it would hit the wing. So they moved it forward and up. So you'll see the Max airplane. If you look at pictures, or uh, even if you you know if you happen to visit or if you are at the airport, you have an opportunity to compare a Max with a regular. By the way, the split wing tip gives away the Max. Okay, where at the end of the wing, you don't just have a little winglet pointing upwards, but you have a, a sort of a Y configuration. That would be the Max. But uh, you'll notice that the engine is mounted much more forward of the wing. That, that is in order to enable it to get a bit higher. Look, um, what happens now? Boeing, meaning at this point, so Boeing says, all right, we don't want to go through our whole development of a new, uh, a new airframe. We're going to just use the 50-year-old airframe. We'll make minimal modifications that won't require FAA recertification of the airframe. And we'll put on these great new big engines. And, but, hey, we've got a problem, and that is that uh, it can tend to raise its nose beyond what the pilot is planning during takeoff because these very powerful engines are pushing from the bottom. Therefore, they're causing a rotational couple as well as forward thrust. Boeing says, no problem. We will introduce a software correction. Uh, now, this 
contradicts Boeing's traditional uh, pattern, which is to keep the airplane pilot very much in uh, the know and very much in command, whereas uh, the um, Airbus, the European Airbus, their philosophy is much more, you know, let the computer just do its thing. Pilot, what you don't need to know, you don't need to know. Boeing has always taken the position, no, you need to know everything, you're the pilot in command, and, and again, you know, different people prefer different, uh, different approaches, neither is right or wrong. But here, Boeing went against their own design philosophy, and they said, look, there's no real reason to tell pilots about this new MCAS system because it's just going to work invisibly in the background, keeping the engine, the airplane flying at its best possible uh, angle. So uh, they set up a system that said, okay, we're going to measure angle of attack. How do you do that? Well, you basically have a vane that moves. It's, it's very, very basic. I mean, we're not talking anything very sophisticated. It's like a weather vane, actually. Remember the old-fashioned weather vanes on top of barns? Well, that's really what it is. Uh, there's one on each side, on the outside of the airplane, just about at uh, a little bit behind where the pilot is seated. Uh, and you can you can actually see them. It's not it's not a big thing. I, I'm going to say it's probably as uh, the same diameter as um, oh um, the mouth of of a big red solo cup. You know something like that. And it's got a vein. And so this feeds information uh, to the computer, telling it what is the angle between the airplane and the on flowing oncoming flow of air, the airstream because that's the key data we have to know. Now, although there are two indicators, one on the left, one on the right, for some reason the MCAS computer draws information from only one. Wouldn't it have made more sense? Look, I'm not, this isn't a question, I'm telling you, uh, and you know yourself, it would have made more sense to draw information from both. That way, if either one is malfunctioning, the computer could have had some logic in it that says, hello, if there is a variation between the two sensors, disregard it and tell the pilot to go to manual. You know, something like that. But instead, they draw the computer draws information from only one angle of attack indicator. And then, based on that, if it, if it decides that the nose is going too high, even if a, a false angle of attack indicator gives that reading, what it then does is um, it rotates the stabilizer. Okay, what's the stabilizer? At the back of the airplane, you've got a horizontal, big horizontal flying surface, uh, which is, is crucial. I mean, that's what maintains um, the aircraft stability as it flies. And at the back end of that is a thing called the elevator. As the pilot pushes forward on his control yoke, the elevator drops down, which raises the tail, which pushes the nose down. When the pilot pulls back on his control, the elevator goes up, pushes the nose down, which raises the, uh, the nose of the plane, and uh, pushes the tail down, raising the nose, and so the, the plane is doing what the pilot says. Now, the influence of the stabilizer is huge because the surface area is so much bigger and it's, it swivels up and down. I th uh, well, what MCAS does to it, the computer, makes it swivel quite a lot. And it also, unfortunately, is cumulative. So if there's one incident where it seems to push the plane's nose down and the pilot is disturbed by this, well, he corrects it, but the stabilizer remains apparently in that position of trim and 
when he when he next when the computer next senses a uh, an upward tilt to the aircraft, it then forces the stabilizer down not to where it was before, but from where it was to a still greater degree of deflection. Anyway, look, um, it's it's hugely problematic. Uh, is it a fault in design? What will courts say? I, I have absolutely no idea. I just do know that um, Boeing is not going to be able to claim to be blameless on this one at all. Um, tragically, we now know that the pilot of the Lion Air flight was frantically paging through the pilot instruction manual in the last seconds of the flight. Um, he just didn't have enough background or training to know that he could – no, I shouldn't say that. Uh, in the adrenaline-fueled moments of everything crazy going on, uh, he didn't realize he could turn the whole thing off by flicking down a toggle switch uh, mounted right between the two pilots. Um, I believe, I've been told by pilot friends, that American pilots routinely turn it off when they fly Max 8s. They turn it off before takeoff because during takeoff, they, they just say, look, we're going to be alert enough. We know we're not going to reach stall. There's a stall warning indicator that goes off, you know, which, which warns you there's a stall. There's a stick uh, shaker where your, your control yoke starts clattering in your hand. So they say, we don't want this automatic thing pushing our nose down, and they just turn it off. And then they may or may not turn it on, turn it on again later in flight. By the way, I suspect, you remember the Air France uh, calamitous clash over the South Atlantic a few years back? Um, I do believe this would have saved them, oddly enough, how these things work. Um, I think it probably would have saved them. But anyway, that's a different story. My main concern now is not, I, you know, not just to overwhelm you with uh, technical information on the Boeing. My concern is something else, and that is that, first of all, um, is it possible that Boeing is actually part of the swamp that President Trump promised to drain? In other words, you know, there are a few very major military contractors in the United States. I think Boeing is number two or number three. Let's say it's number three. Then you've got Lockheed Martin up front. Northrop Grumman is number – it would be the next, I'd say – just measured – I mean, it's, it's very hard because, you know, the amounts of money uh, that each one um, contracts for from the government varies year by year. But Boeing is number three, Raytheon number four, General Dynamics number five. General Dynamics builds uh, submarines and destroyers for the Navy. I mean, we're talking about big, big, big business. And so clearly one reason that there hasn't been a huge move in Boeing stock price so far, at least at the time I'm recording this, um, is that people are saying, well, you know, the defense business, which is a, a good 25% or more of Boeing's business, well, that's not going to change. And then all their other stuff. And then, you know, the, the 737 will be flying again soon enough. Well, that's where I'm not sure they're right. If the 737 is flying again by the end of April, uh, you know, that should be fine. I'm not sure it is because I think that some of these problems are, uh, are more serious and that uh, in order to regain some of its damaged prestige, I think it's quite possible that the Federal Aviation Administration uh, will require a complete recertification process of the entire airplane. That is possible. 
if that happens, they'll almost inevitably require modifications and changes. So um, is the 737 going to be flying again soon? Look, I don't know anything more than, than anybody else. Uh, you know, I'm not privy to any secret information at all. But I will say that uh, based on my understanding of things, I don't think we're seeing the 737 flying before the summer. And that's a huge problem. It's a huge problem partially because uh, Boeing at that point takes a serious hit, and that is not good for the American economy. And uh, I do believe that for the – I'm not going to overstate it, but I think for the – for the benefit of, of America and ultimately of Western civilization, uh, President Trump needs to be re-elected. I don't think that's an overstatement. And for President Trump to be elected, the American economy has to be doing well. Uh, if Boeing takes a serious hit to its value, uh, that is going to impact the economy. It's not good. Um, I'm not going to harbor any uh, conspiracy fantasies of ways in which people in power can uh, modify and impact and influence Boeing share price to stop it reacting to, to some of the growing concerns. I'm not going to uh, touch on that, at least not in this particular show. What lies ahead lies ahead. We shall see. But um, I am very concerned about America losing preeminence in aviation to China. Um, I, I think I've told you that uh, China's equivalent of the A320, the Airbus 320, and the 737 is their Comac C919. They've already sold a 1,000 of them. The plane uh, is already in test flights, and it'll probably be in service in 2020 next year. Um, there's no question that China is hoping to uh, reach number one position very quickly. This is unfortunately a major gain for China. Um, some airlines, including Indonesian airlines, have already canceled orders for the uh, MAX uh, 8. They've canceled about 50 airplanes they had on order. Are they going to buy the, are they going to put orders in for the C919 or the A320? They need the airplanes, so who are they going to buy them from? My bet they're going to buy the Chinese plane. First of all, it's in the Asia area. Indonesia is there. Number two, uh, Comac, the Chinese aircraft manufacturing uh, company, uh, is going to be able to offer a deal that no other company is going to be able to match. And so if Indonesia Air replaces their Boeing order with a uh, Chinese uh, C919 order and other companies follow suit, if uh, little by little countries begin to think that the Chinese safety agencies are more reliable than the Federal Aviation Administration, uh, we're talking about real problems. Uh, we're looking at a historic inflection point in which the history books will say, yes, the air crash of a 737 at the end of 2018 and another one in March 2019, yes, that began the downfall of American aviation because Boeing is American aviation. Look, this is worst-case scenario. Heaven forbid. I, I, I certainly hope I'm wrong. Uh, but I have to tell you that um, the left, in its obsessive hatred for Donald Trump, 
is hoping that Americans have harder economic times. If you just take a look at what CNN is saying and you read some of the um, columns by leftist economists in the New York Times like Krugman and others, uh, you'll see that they are wishing, hoping, and praying for a downturn in the American economy because they know full well that that would be a prerequisite for Donald Trump not winning re-election in 2020. So this is not just a story about Boeing. This is a story with huge and very important and very significant implications, my friends. Uh, for instance, something that uh, does not appear to be widely known or widely discussed, in spite of the fact that it, it has, I mean, we know, but it's, it's, uh, this is reported. Uh, this is a very, very unusual thing, but I'm, I'm, I want to tell you, in case you don't know, that federal prosecutors... Uh, have become involved in the um, Boeing 737 MAX. Uh, they have issued a subpoena uh, looking for the documents having to do with the development of the MCAS system on the 737 MAX. And, um, and what's so strange about this is that um, criminal charges are not part of the American pattern for aircraft accident investigations. The Justice Department just doesn't get involved in this. Never happened, as far as I know. Very unusual um, for a criminal probe to delve into matters between the FAA and, the, uh, and, and, and Boeing. This is just very unusual. Still, this... Um, it, this does happen overseas, by the way, and here in America, our officials have always been very critical when foreign governments like France and South Korea and some others immediately institute criminal probes uh, of some plane manufacturers, executives, and sometimes even pilots after a high-profile crash. And so America's always said, no, leave, this is not a criminal, this is, I mean, we've got to get to the bottom here. Once you start making it criminal, uh, the voluntary sharing of important data becomes secondary, people are, anyway, so America used to, used to treat it on a corporate level. Now, for the first time as, that I'm aware of, uh, the Justice Department is now scrutinizing not just Boeing and this crash in general, but the entire document trail covering the development of the MCAS system in the first place, which is a huge issue, I think. Actually, the, the only time I can think of, and I, you know, go ahead, by the way. I mean, if some of you have more information on this or more memory or, or thoughts, by all means, uh, contact me at, at the website, rabbidaniellappin.com. But the only one I remember back in 96, gosh, that's uh, 20 years ago, uh, more than 20 years ago, in 1996, um, do you remember there was a value jet plane that crashed in Florida? Uh, it was a DC-9 at that time. And it turned out the reason was that there were certain oxygen canisters down in the cargo bay that um, started, they were not properly sealed and they started burning. And... Um, uh, it started this major fire in the cargo bay that uh, wiped out the airplane as they tried to return to Miami Airport just after takeoff. In that case, the contractor that was responsible for loading the stuff 
Uh, their name was Sabertech. They loaded the oxygen canisters in a faulty way, didn't secure stuff and capped the canisters like they were supposed to. And there, if I remember correctly, there were criminal investigations. And, and I think, um, I, I even think that um, uh, criminal charges were filed against Sabertech executives and, and some employees. And, uh, and at that time, by the way, I began to get very concerned about uh, a, deteriorate, a deteriorating integrity of the population in general in the United States of America. Uh, I see the declining integrity as an almost inevitable accompaniment to the secularizing and socializing of society. And uh, I've said it's all very well, you know, if, uh, if the guy assembling a, uh, a Jeep in Detroit is uh, has developed a don't care attitude, and I just you know I'm just going to sit out my time here, do what I have to do. Sometimes with intention, sometimes with care, sometimes without. Okay, fine. But if the same guy is in charge of aircraft maintenance or loading dangerous equipment into the cargo bay of a passenger jet, now I am really, really concerned. And uh, that's that's that was the last time I remember a criminal investigation involving a an air crash of an American carrier. Now, when I speak about uh, catastrophic loss of prestige for the FAA, the Federal Aviation, um, I'll tell you what I'm basing this on, and that is again unprecedented things. We've never seen these things before, where um, up till now. Different countries, most other countries, relied on the certification uh, procedures of our FAA here in the United States. Now, Canada has announced that they will want to issue their own recertification before they lift the grounding ban on the uh, 737 MAX. This has never happened before, my friends. So now, even if the FAA lifts its ban, Canada will not do so until they've done their own inspection and investigation. Not only them, but the Europeans. The European version of our FAA, again, up till now, has always accepted the rulings of the FAA. But they now look and they say the FAA was the last to ground the 737, and they're not going to trust the uh, FAA fr again. Before they allow the 737 to fly, they want to recertify it themselves as well. And so China comes out looking very good. The FAA comes out looking very bad. These are among the reasons that my conviction at the moment is that the 737 is not going to be flying in May 2019 um, or, or even perhaps June, but it may be even longer, which uh, needless to say, you know, as I said, I mean, this very bad for Boeing, by extension, bad for the Dow, bad for the American economy, bad for uh, elections in 2020, all round bad in terms of China growing in strength and prestige, all very disturbing. Uh, what makes it uh, so disturbing is because um, their decisions that Boeing made, which in hindsight do not look good, um, that, that Boeing decided that 737 pilots did not need any extra training uh, because of this MCAS stall avoidance system, um, 
And not only didn't they need training, but Boeing decided they didn't even need to know about it. It was not mentioned in flight manuals that pilots have to carry and have with them. Um, now, obviously, this saved Boeing a lot of money. So if if prosecutors do get involved and they want to claim that these were decisions made in order to maximize earnings and share price and to d- minimize development time and to get the – um, to get the 737 into the new sales funnel as quickly as possible and for it to just have a standard type rating like all other CS737 models. Um, this is what this is a claim that, that, that begins to sound somewhat reasonable, very, very disturbing. So, um, uh, I mean, they literally didn't tell pilots about the MCAS. Huge problem. Um, the the jets sold extraordinarily well, even though it just came out. I mean, twenty sixteen. But um, Boeing racks up. They've got a backlog order book of five thousand airplanes. That's how many of these are needed around the world. Gives you an idea of how hungry China would be to dive in and get a whole bunch of those uh, for their equivalent airplane. Which you'll remember, I told you, uses exactly the same. Um, this, the same engines, which was very clever. I think people would have been a lot more concerned had it been a, a new Chinese engine. But it isn't. It's the same leap engine that the 737 uses. And if China jumps in and gets a whole bunch of those orders, the whole, the whole map changes. Uh, when, when Boeing was selling the 737, they told airlines, and you can actually see the sales material of this, uh, they told airlines, buy the 737 MAX, you're going to save millions of dollars because the transition, you know, this is a lot like software changes, you know, you bought one version of Windows and then came the next version, the one after that, compatibility was very important, and if they could assure you that it was compatible, all your software would run with the next upgrade, people were okay with it. Well, that's what Boeing said about the MAX. They said the MAX follows on seamlessly from the previous generation 737, the pilots don't even need any extra training, and what is more, it'll be a very smooth transition to the next generation 737. So right now, everybody is jumping on the bandwagon and uh, and yelling at Boeing for providing no information about the MCAS stall avoidance, automatic stall avoidance system. So uh, look, it's 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 a big, big, big mess. It it just is, and um, and and where it goes from here, well. It's hard to know, but the story, as I say, goes way beyond the question of the aircraft manufacturer itself. I'm really sorry that uh, uh, today's show is a little bit of a downer in that sense that uh, I am contemplating a a rather gloomy picture ahead. But, um, you know... Probably, uh, I, um, I may be a little gloomier than, than needed uh, just because I've been completely inundating myself with this information for the last week and, uh, and just finding myself increasingly disturbed. Uh, for instance, remember I, I told you how uh, the American Secretary of Defense, uh, Mr. Shanahan, is a 30-year veteran of uh, the Boeing executive suite. Um, that's not the only connection between the Pentagon 
uh, between the government and between companies like Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, uh, Raytheon, General Dynamics, and Boeing. Um, it begins to look to me as if the swamp extends all the way. And then I ask myself, is it possible that American defense interests are being sacrificed uh, through this kind of corruption? Is it possible that, look, let's put it this way, companies make the most money if they can sell and continue selling older technology because research and development is expensive. And so, you know, again, you, you know, you can see it with, with almost anything, right? If car companies can continue selling you a car that was designed five years ago, all the costs of designing that car can be amortized over a much longer period, and they can make much more in the way of profit. Um, the, the fact that Boeing didn't design a new airplane, but just tacked on these big new engines to a 50-year-old airframe, that looks suspiciously like what we're talking about. And uh, how about if this is happening on every front? Is it possible that, um, that building aircraft carriers is not in America's long-term interest? Is that possible? Is it possible that, again, the collaboration and corruption – that now seems to exist on these open channels between government, military, and contractors, is it possible that they're buying old technology instead of insisting on new? And new technology is vitally important. Look, I don't know. Um, an aircraft carrier is a very formidable piece of military hardware. There's no question about it. But is it possible that, like the catapult and like uh, all kinds, like the bow and arrow, <laughs> is it possible that the aircraft carrier is approaching the end of its time of history? Is that possible? Bearing in mind that an aircraft carrier can be disabled by one missile or can be disabled by a submarine, is it possible that um, aircraft carriers are basically World War II technology? Maybe it isn't the right sort of equipment for now. I, again, it's not. It's not. I have, I have no idea. I'm just raising the question. Is it possible that we're not recognizing that again because of this incestuous relationship? Look, this stuff is horrifying to contemplate and uh, and incredibly disturbing, right? And I really want to. I want to end on an upbeat, positive note. I really do. Um, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just I'm going to tell you one more downer, and then we'll uh, we'll try and finish on a on a higher note. Uh, the only other downer is that um, Boeing was actually prosecuted back in 2006. I wonder if any of you remember this. I remember it very clearly. Um, I was living in Seattle at the time, and um, what happened then was that um, Boeing hired a Pentagon official, who then um, arranged a deal with Boeing and also it involved corporate espionage against uh, Lockheed Martin. Anyway, the Air Force official who got paid by Boeing and Boeing's CFO at the time were both sentenced to prison and uh, Boeing's CEO at the time resigned. Um, that, was, that was big. 
the fallout, it was a big scandal and there was fallout. Um, but what, what happened then is that um, it sort of got settled. P- what were the factors? Partially, I think everyone recognized deep in their hearts that how vital Boeing was to uh, America's defense industry. And uh, I don't know, right now, um, if, if this does devolve into a criminal investigation as well, anyway, look, the key thing is how long will it be before Boeing f- is allowed to fly the 737 again? How long will it be before international companies um, lift the ban on the 737? And by that time, will it still be possible to salvage the order book? Will orders for the 737 pick up again, or or will uh, Europe's Airbus swoop in and offer sweetheart deals to Indonesian Air and Norwegian Air and uh, uh, Saudi Arabian Airline, not the main one, another one? There are a whole bunch of airlines that are ready to buy these planes right now and cannot buy the 737 MAX. Will they wait? Or will they buy the uh, Airbus equivalent, the A320? Or, even more seriously, from the point of view of what I've been thinking about today, will they buy China's uh, twin-engine, single-aisle passenger plane, the C919? Uh, I think we're at a very, very uh, critical point. And as I say, history books, I'm quite sure, will look back and point at this moment in American history as a moment of serious change. I think we're living through something very significant. Uh, Look, come what may, come what may, the quality of your life and my life is chiefly and primarily impacted by our families and our finances. Or, you know, I I think you'll agree that's the bottom line. It's also impacted by our health. But uh, I don't talk about that so much only because I think pretty much everybody knows that health is enormously aided by no financial stress and by great family relationships. Those are hugely important for health. So uh, solve those problems, and uh, you've done pretty much all you can do if you're, you know, if you're sane about your health. So that's why I speak about those things, and, and that's why it is that uh, I started the show today, again, reminding you that you're happy warriors and reminding you that with all the turbulence going on in the world, of which this whole discussion is, is, is a very significant part, in the final analysis, your quality of life is going to be impacted not so much by what happens to the Boeing investigation or even whether airlines buy A320s or 737s or C919s. The quality of your life will be impacted by your finances and by your family. And so it would seem to me that those are the areas to focus on. Each and every one of us will do best by strengthening our relationships with friends and with family, uh, 
If we don't have them, then building those relationships and then nurturing them. And, uh, and then making sure that we are focused on our, on our revenue, on our ability to relate correctly to our finances. Because you remember something, it's a very, very painful fact, but I've said it many times, I've written about it extensively, and that is that unlike issues uh, of health and geography and war, when it comes to your personal finances, today's stress is attributable almost exclusively to yesterday's bad decisions. And the good news is that uh, there are more decisions to be made today and tomorrow and the next day, so make sure that those are the right decisions. And uh, for those purposes, the, the help that I provide are these shows, our television show, which uh, you can catch on tct.tv. Uh, again, at our website, you'll see it all. Uh, the, um, the income abundance set, uh, the family programs, Madam, I'm Adam. Uh, look, if you're not married, you need to be married. If you are married, your marriage needs to be improved and strengthened. There is a lot to be done. And so the amount of time to spend worrying about Boeing is minimal because there's really productive, life-changing things that you can do right now with respect to friendships, with respect to finance, with respect to family. And yes, let's not leave out faith, a crucial part of our success in our ordinary day-to-day lives. The website you'll remember is rabbidaniellappin.com, www.rabbidaniellappin.com. Read about the resource available at a special price for listeners of this show. Uh, it's called Perils of Profanity. You are what you speak. Go to the store. You'll be able to read up more about it, but uh, better than reading about it, just buy it. Uh, good for you, good for me, and good for everyone you come into contact with, your family and your friends, as well as your uh, business relationships. All of that will benefit from things you will learn, tips and tools, techniques and strategies you will pick up from perils of profanity. You are what you speak, and you'll find that at www.rabbidaniellappin.com. Hey, be in touch. Love to hear from you, so do it through comments on the website. Do it through a message on the website, but whatever it is, we love to hear from you, and we very, very much appreciate your participation in all we do. We are here to serve you. That is our mission. That is our business. And both my wife and I feel deeply privileged to be able to do so. So until next week, my friends, thanks for being with us here on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. Make it a week of really good times with your finances, with your family, with your faith, and with your friendships. Until next week, I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless. Spilling ancient solutions to modern problems in areas of family, faith, friendship, and finance. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network.